Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? We doing good? Thank you so much for singing happy birthday to me. And uh, based on that, uh, we would love to invite some of you to our worship team to be a part of that. Others of you, after listening to you sing, uh, guest services may be for you. Uh, no, no, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, for those that may, may know our family, uh, you know, my daughter Kinley and I share a birthday. So I don't have a pink birthday crown on today, but she does. So if you see her run, running through the lobby, uh, that's her. And it's our birthday. I told her that she's the best birthday present I ever got. And then I lost my birthday. So uh, thank you for singing to me. I really appreciate it. I never take that for granted anymore. But uh, no, I really do appreciate it. Uh, and also thanks to those of you that came out to our fireworks event uh, this last Wednesday. Wednesday night. Uh, that was a blast. We had a great time. The city of Canton shoots fireworks off like right over top of, kind of right out in front of our building. And so a couple years ago when we were moving in, we found out about that. And so we just come and put up inflatables for the kids and grill out hot dogs and give away those for free and give away drinks for free and um, just have a great time. So thanks to those of you that serve, like you made the hot dogs, you worked the inflatables, uh, you came up and, and served in our building that we open up for like free restrooms for those that are in our parking lot. Hundreds and hundreds of people from our community here um, and so I just want to thank you that served. I also want to thank you if you came and uh, you introduced me to your friends or family or neighbors or whoever that you brought. It was awesome for me to meet them uh, as you were like, hey, this is my neighbor or this is my coworker or this is my sister-in-law. Let me just say, you know who you are. You've been bad-mouthing your sister-in-law, but she seems nicer than you've said. I, I don't know. Uh, but no, thanks for that. I just, I loved meeting them because we love to serve the community. We love to get outside the walls of our church and just connect to people. And, and you heard a couple of other other ways that that can happen. So let me just kind of reiterate there. Sports camp this Sunday, this coming week, Tuesday night, uh, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they'll be at Bowling Park. Tuesday night, they start here. So come here Tuesday night. Don't do what Pastor Trevor said. Register your kids so they can plan. They got enough hot dogs, but uh, it's going to be awesome. Just if you know of a kid, even if you don't have kids, you know of a kid that needs to be here. It's our take on vacation Bible school. So they're going to have a blast learning about the love of God. And so be here for that uh, and get your kids here, get friends and family members here. And then also, uh, you heard about Serve Day. That's this coming Saturday. I think he said it's in a couple of weeks, but that's this coming Saturday. We'd love to have you help us just connect there at uh, First Baptist here in Canton and just give a kid a chance. And then in August, we've got an event called Global Leadership Summit that we are one of 600 hosts for. And in that two days, August 9th and 10th, they're going to be, get this big number, 400,000 people at one of these 600 host sites. And we're one of those host sites and we're gonna be hosting leaders. And you may say, well, I'm not a leader. Well, I would argue that that's not true. Like leadership is influence. So if you have influence over anybody in your life, even if it's your dog or your four-year-old at the house, you're a leader. And so uh, maybe this event is for you. If not for you, maybe somebody that you know, maybe somebody on your job. I've been to this event the last couple of years. It is phenomenal. You won't regret it. If you were to register through their website, it's like 200 bucks for those two days. Um, but if you go through our Canton Church website uh, with the code that we have that we provide to you, it's 89 bucks for these two days. Um, and that's through Tuesday night. So I wanted to let you know you can register through Tuesday and be a part of that. After Tuesday, it jumps up to like 100 bucks. But a great event. Another way for us just to lean into the business community, community leaders here, church leaders. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. So let's jump into fruitology. I can't believe we're already in week six of what started 
started out to be this nine-week series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We started this the first Sunday of June, and I thought it would just kind of creep by through the summer, but man, it's flying uh, as we look at each of these fruit or these characteristics of God in our lives. Uh, And and so if you've been tracking with us, if not, maybe jump onto our podcast and, and, and follow along or catch up on some weeks that you may have missed. Because what we're looking at are these things in our lives, these characteristics of God that really come to light as we allow God to live in us and work through us in the way that we conduct ourselves every single day. And so as we were laying out this series, like you just take it right out of the text there and you lay it out and I'm like, love and joy and peace. That's awesome. I got that. Uh, And then it was like patience and kindness. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's good. I'm going to let Matt and Trevor talk about those two. And then I ended up getting goodness. And when I think about that, like, I think that that would be easy in theory, and then I recognize that the idea of actual goodness is more difficult than I thought. Now, here's the deal. We know what good is. Like, you can walk around, you can look at somebody and go, hey, they're good. Hey, they're bad, right? I watch baseball. It's like, hey, he's not very good, right? I'm, so I'm able to judge people, and we do that. Walking through the lobby, you might see somebody in the church, and you go, hey, good person, Bad, well, we don't have bad people here. That's at other churches. But you might walk through the lobby of other buildings in other places, and you'd be like, hey, that's a bad person, right? If I were to say Mother Teresa, most people are like, she was good, right? But if I were to say, like, Adolf Hitler, most people would say, unless they're crazy, like, well, he was bad, right? Because we judge people based on what? Just some unknown scoreboard, some unknown metrics that we've produced or created or evaluated in other people. And we go, okay, well, this is what makes you good, or this is what makes you bad. And so then what happens if we're not careful is we start living our lives trying to live up to one of those categories, right? I mean, it happens intuitively. We just don't even think about it like you're in your classroom in school when you were a child. And if you did good on the test, you got an A plus, right? And, and if you were good in behavior in that classroom, the teacher, you know, was excited about that and affirmed you and talked about what a good student you were. And then you come home and I'm a parent and we don't mean to do this but then we start rewarding good behavior, right? And we punish bad behavior, right? And, and so then in our lives, what happens is even in our friendship relationships and in other relationships and things, we start striving to be good and trying to avoid being bad. Well, the problem is if we try to approach that way, approach God that way in our, in our faith and in our relationship with him, we're always going to fall short, Because what we understand about the truth of the gospel and the Bible and the message of Jesus Christ is that you can never be good enough, right? There's no amount of good things that you can do with your life, no amount of good things that you can accomplish, no matter how much you strive to do it. You can never attend church enough, though you need to do that. You can never give enough, though you need to do that. You can never be in life groups enough and serve enough, though you need to do all. That doesn't get you like more check marks where God's like, yeah, well, you've attended enough. You're good right? You get a good grade. I've told this story before, but one of my jobs when I was a teenager, I worked at a golf course. I was the cart guy. I would spray the carts down before people would get in them and make them dirty again. I never really understood that, but we would do that. And the guy that was like the assistant head pro at that course, he, he didn't really believe in God. And so anytime faith came up, he said, you know, there's 10 commandments. He said, God could only expect like me to live out six out of 10 or so, right? That's not failing. I mean, in my grades, that was failing. I'm not sure what he, where he went to school, but he's like, you know, six or seven out of 10, like that's all God could really expect. But if you're ever trying to find that line where you are good enough, you're always going to come up short, always. And then I come to this passage of scripture in Romans chapter seven, 
And I read the Apostle Paul here, and he's writing uh, to this group of people in Rome, and he's headed that direction. And in Romans 7, he says something that totally defeats me as I think about goodness. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That's all I got for you today. You can leave now, right? He says, goodness does not dwell in me. He says, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Can I get an amen to Paul's writing here from any? You're a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites, every single one of you. Because he's saying here, listen, as much as I try to do good, I keep making bad decisions. As much as I want to do good, good doesn't even live in me. As much as I try to avoid doing evil things, bad things, those are the things I keep finding myself doing. And it's like, what in the world are we doing? And so you came here today, we're in fruitology. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that is goodness. And right up front, I want you to know, good does not dwell in you. It doesn't dwell in me. The only person in the world it dwells in is sitting right over there. That lady right there, she is inherently good. Right now, Goodness doesn't dwell in any of us. According to what Paul's saying here, goodness doesn't dwell in any of us. And and as we're attempting to live, often we find ourselves, as we attempt to be good and not to be bad, we're usually on the opposite end of where we wanted to be when we started out. And so if you came today and you thought when I was coming up here to talk about goodness, okay, well, he's going to tell me how to be good. I'm going to tell you, it's always a losing battle. You're like, what? But my kids, right? I, had, I have kids, and they're, they're still young and, and still little in some respects. And it, as I think about them in the context of what we're reading here, he says, I couldn't even do good. I think, yeah, I mean, that's about right. Because our kids are born, and they are beautiful and, and awesome. And you're like, thank you, Lord. And then they become toddlers. And it's like all the evil in the world is incarnate in them at two or three years old. Because like, you know, our, one of our kids, they would, they would hit you, like playfully. And you'd be like, okay, don't hit. Well, what do they do? They hit you. And you're like, no, no, don't, don't hit me. And then they hit you, and you're like, what are you doing, right? And you say, hey, don't touch that. What do they do? They reach out and touch that. Nobody taught them that. There's evil in them, all of them, <laughs> Right? I mean, this is what happens. We see the sin nature of all humanity in a two-year-old or three-year-old little child because there's this sin nature, but we shouldn't be surprised by this because what we read in Galatians chapter five that we have based this entire series around is that there is a difference in the way that you and I conduct ourselves. Look at this in Galatians chapter five, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is a fruit, there is a characteristic that exists in us when we are spirit-led. But look at it in the larger context, beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and bad, 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 bad things like this. Not good things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There is a flesh. There is a passion and desire center in all of us that are human beings that we have this sinful nature. I mean, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden and said, you can have all of this, but don't touch that one thing. And they turned into a bunch of toddlers. And instead of playing in the whole house, they go back to the one thing you told them not to play with, right? That's what Adam and Eve did. They just walked in, became toddlers and did because of this sinful nature that is now reproduced generation after generation after generation in all of us. They say, hey, there's a work of my flesh. When I'm in charge, when I'm making decisions, when I'm the one living life the way that I want to live life, this bad, bad, bad stuff comes out of my life. And so throughout this series, what we have said is that the works of the flesh is a result of what you do, but the fruit of the Spirit is a result of what God does in you. The works of the flesh is a result of what you and I do, but the fruit of the Spirit is the result of what God does in you. What God does in you. And so we go, okay, I'm not good, according to Paul. I can't do good. But maybe, just maybe, because of God and because of Jesus, I can find a way to be good enough. And then we come to the words of Jesus that are so depressing. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do good deeds in front of other people. Don't do these deeds to be seen by others. If you do, your Father in heaven will not reward you. If you figure out how to be good, once you do them in front of other people, you've done bad again. That's what he says. He says, you can't be good, but once you figure out how to be good, just don't let anybody know that you're good because then that makes you bad. And I'm like, what are we doing here? I cannot figure out how to take this and go, I am not good, but if I figure out how to be good, I have to make it a secret. Because isn't the fun of being good that other people go, wow, you are so good. I mean, that... Maybe that makes me bad. I don't know. But I feel like that there's goodness in other people knowing how good I am sometimes. I want the teacher to give me the gold star. You did so good. Thank you so much. I feel good when you tell me how good I am. But if I do good deeds, I can't do them in front of other people because then that makes me bad. I am so confused. And so now you can get up and leave. That's all I've got for you today. You are not good. And if you figure it out, don't do good in front of other people because it makes you bad. It's like, okay, well, where are we going to go then from here? How do we resolve anything that we're talking about? Well, where we land in all of this is that it's true. There is no goodness naturally in me and you as it relates to our humanity. And yet God sees us in a different light. A few months ago, we did a series here called Dirt. And we talked about the idea that God took the dirt, the dust of the earth, And he worked it and molded it and shaped it to form you and me. But we didn't stay dirt, even though people in our lives have tried to make us think that we were dirt and tried to keep us in the place of our greatest regret and our greatest shame and our greatest place of dirtiness. God then took that dirt and he breathed his breath into it. And we became living things. And we actually, according to scripture, were created in his image. Man and woman, we were created in the image of of God. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this truth about all of us. For we are God's handiwork. Your translation may say masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. 
You are God's masterpiece. Now, I, I like art, but I'm the guy with the confused look on his face when we're in an art gallery. Like, I don't always get it like you might get it. But if I'm walking through an art gallery, you know who I'd love to stand next to? The guy or the girl who created that piece. Because even though I can't see every nuance and everything and get all the meaning out of it, they could explain to me what was in their mind as they created this piece. They could tell me in this side over here what music was playing in the studio or in the silence, what they heard as they were creating this masterpiece. They can tell me what what they were thinking. They can tell me what they see. And I want to know what they see when they look. I don't care what you see. I want to know what they see because they had something in mind. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that that's how God feels when he looks at you. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's handiwork. And for some of us today, if you leave here with nothing else but that truth, it's enough to change your life. Because there are a lot of people that have tried to convince you otherwise, that you're good for nothing, that you're a mistake. You wear the labels of your regret and your shame and your guilt and your condemnation and your failures. And they try to keep throwing those things in your face to try to convince you that you are just more and more of what you thought you were or somebody told you you were. And what I'm saying is that in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. The old things have gone. The new has come. You are God's masterpiece. You are his handiwork. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And so he says, no, 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 listen, there's no good in you except what I put in you. You are God's masterpiece. And then what does he say after that? He says, you are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You can't do good on your own, but in Christ Jesus, you can do good works. What we just talked about during our time of worship when we took communion is that the work has already been done. Other religions of the world says, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do. And Jesus said through the cross, it has been done for you. And so you believe and you accept what he has already done, the work that has already been completed, and then you take the work that he has done and what he gives freely to you and you give that away to others. It's the good works that you can give away, not because you are good, but because he is good toward you. It's the difference in a flashlight and a mirror. A flashlight's trying to produce its own light. You have no goodness on your own. But as a mirror, you reflect the goodness of God towards other people. We're not a flashlight. We can't produce goodness. It does not dwell in us, Paul said. But as a mirror, I can reflect the goodness of God extended to me toward other people and go, hey, look at God. Look at how good God is, we sang about. Look at how loving God is. Look at how merciful God is. Look at how forgiving he is and accepting he is. And so I reflect the goodness of God towards those in my life, not because I'm a flashlight trying to produce my own light, but because I'm a mirror reflecting the goodness of God. I was God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a story He has something he's prepared. He has a job that he is accomplishing, and he's done that through Jesus Christ, and he continues to do that through God's work in us and through us for the sake of other people. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do the work 
that he's called us to do. And if you're not convinced, all you have to do is go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, fittingly Genesis 1, and you read about the creation story. And you see that God took from this formless void chaos of the, the, the earth that was there, whatever there was, he looks at that and he goes, hey, I got to do something about this. And he starts to create. He, he creates day and night and splits them apart. Then he creates the earth and the sky. And every time he would create something new in those first five days, he would say, it is good. He creates the earth. It is good. The sky, it is good. He creates the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the creatures of the land. And he said, it is good. And then he gets to day six and he creates man and woman in his image. And he says, it is very good. Look at the person beside you and say, it is very good. Now, if that's not your spouse, that's going to be a little awkward, right? If, you, if it is your spouse, go ahead and say, it is very good, right? You go ahead and do that. I'll give you permission because... He created man and woman in his image after saying that he's created this and he's created this. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he says, hey, I've created man and woman in my image and it is very good because you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you. And so to kind of wrap up our time, I want us to then focus on Matthew chapter 25. Matthew is the first of those four gospels, those stories of Jesus's life and ministry here on the earth. And in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew is recording something really important that we need to know. And there's three separate stories here in Matthew chapter 25, and all of them are in reference to the kingdom of heaven. According to the very first verse of Matthew chapter 25, it's about the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the deal. We are living in this present age. And anytime you are reading the Bible and trying to figure out what it means when it's talking about something that has yet to happen, it becomes open to interpretation. And sometimes it brings with it confusion because you may interpret it one way and someone else may interpret it another way. And now you're trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Now, if I were to say, hey, it rained at my house last Thursday, that's in the past. And so all we have to do is go back and figure out, did it actually rain at my house last Thursday? And then we can agree together that yes, it did, or no, it did not, right? In the summer, in the south, it probably did. I don't even know. I don't even have to look at the weather app, but it probably did rain at my house last Thursday. But we can all go back and look and see, this is the reality. This is the truth because it's already happened in the past. But if I were to say, or your favorite meteorologist were to say, it's going to rain at your house this coming Thursday, Listen, I've spoken my piece. I think meteorologists are making it all up. I, don't, I, don't, I think they're guessing like we're guessing. I think they've got an app on their phone. They look at it right before they go on the air and they say, hey, there's a 60% chance it's going to rain on Thursday. The computer already told them. I just think they're making it up. Now, if you have a family member that's a meteorologist, I don't know what to tell you. I think they're making it up. I mean, I just, I, I, in my life, I've been let down by them more than I've been lifted up by them. That's really, the, every time I said, hey, I got a baseball game today, I'm a kid, it's, they're saying it's a 20% chance. It was a monsoon rain. They lied to me, right? And then they say, hey, it's going to snow, you're going to be out of school. And it was like sunny, like, I just think they're making it up, but that's a totally different aside. So if I were to say, I think it may rain on Thursday, you may have a different opinion. And you may go, I, you know, looking at the clouds, and the barometric pressures, right? And my app, I don't think it's going to rain on Thursday. 
Because now that's something in the future, and now we have different interpretation. And so anytime you come to Scripture, and if you've been soaping with us, which is our Scripture reading program that we do here at the church, we're in Revelation right now, and Revelation can be very confusing. But even beyond Revelation, if we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 25, and he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about something that's yet to come. And so now we're trying to interpret what he means here, what Matthew is recording that Jesus said. But there are three stories that happen here in Matthew chapter 25. The first of those stories deals with 10 bridesmaids who are waiting on the master to come back and some of them run out of oil in their lamps and some of them still have oil when the master gets there and some of them were unprepared and some of them were prepared. So you can interpret that to mean that when the master, when the bridegroom, when Christ returns, some will be ready and some will not. And you and I want to be counted in the group that is ready for his return. Right? Okay, so that's one story. You jump to the third story, and in that third story, you have Jesus talking about splitting people into two groups. Someone is right, someone is left. Some are sheep, some are goats. Just in case you're not sure, you want to be a sheep, not a goat, okay? So he's splitting people in two. And the way that he's differentiating people is how you interacted with people that were in need. He said, Here's the deal you'll come to a day of judgment. And some will be on my right and some will be on my left. Some will be sheep, some will be goats. And I'm going to reward those and punish others who have fed those who were hungry and clothed those who were naked and given drink to those who were thirsty. And both groups ask him, when did we feed those that were hungry or feed those that were hungry and clothe those that were naked and give drink to those that were thirsty? And he says, whatever you did unto me, unto the least of these you did unto me. And so then he rewards those that did that, and he punishes those who did not. Kingdom of heaven. He's splitting the groups. And then you come to the middle story of Matthew chapter 25. And in this story, he tells about another master that's going on a journey. And as he's leaving to go on this journey, he takes three of his servants, and he splits his wealth among these three. And depending on your translation, he either gave one five bags of gold or your translation may say five talents. Now, that's not like he can sing and he can write well. And it's not that kind of talent. Talent's like a currency. So he gave him five bags of gold or five pieces of currency. He gave them five things of value out of his wealth. So that's what he gave to one guy. To the second guy, he gave two bags of gold. And to the third guy, he gave one bag of gold. So the guy with the five bags of gold, he took that five bags and he turned it into five more. He's going to have 10 bags now. I want that guy handling my portfolio, right? He took five and he made it 10 and that's awesome. The guy that had two, he turned it into four. He took those two and made two more out of interest or he, he bartered or whatever it was. Like eventually he ends up with four. But the guy that had one, he didn't want the master to lose anything. Maybe he recognized in himself that he didn't feel like he was good at managing bags of gold and that he might, he was kind of forgetful. He can't find his keys. He'd probably lose this bag of gold. And so he digs it back, digs a hole in his backyard, buries the bag of gold. So when the master returns, he digs it back up and gives him back what had already been given to him. And when I read the rest of this story, I'm going to go ahead and put you on notice in case you've never read this. It seems a little unfair what's about to happen. But he comes back, the master does, and the guy that had been given five bags of gold gives him 10. The guy that had been given two gives him four. And the guy that had been given one digs up the one that he had buried, gives it back to the master, and the master gets upset. 
He says, no, no, listen, master, I, you gave me one and I, I had that one and I didn't want to lose it and I knew you're a hardworking man. I didn't want you to lose more of your possessions that you had entrusted to me. So here is the one back that you gave to me. And the master takes the one away from him, gives it to the guy that already has 10 and casts out the servant, throws him out of the house. And the last few verses of this story say that he throws him into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a descriptive phrase that references other places where Jesus talked about Hades or talked about hell. So this story related to the kingdom of heaven says that Jesus, when he's telling the story, wants the master to take away the one that the servant returned to him, throw that guy out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and give that one thing back to the guy that had 10. And you go, well, that doesn't seem fair. Unless you understand what Jesus was trying to tell with the bridesmaids, some of who weren't ready and some of who were. The sheep and the goats down here at the bottom who were trying to be divided by who had served those in need and who had not. And you come to this middle story where we recognize that what Jesus wants us to know is that you don't actually possess anything except what's been given to you. And your job and my job is not to try to be a flashlight and create something on our own, but it's to take what God gives to us, the love that God expresses to us, the forgiveness that God gives to us, and multiply it out to the other people in our lives. God gives me forgiveness, he forgives my sin, then I should be the most forgiving person that I know. But unfortunately, some of, of, of the forgiven Christians that I know are some of the most unforgiving people I've ever met. Some people that have received so much grace and mercy from God would not give grace to someone that's done them wrong if I was paying them in $100 bills to do so. But it says, no, 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 I, I've been given five bags of God's love towards me. And so I just want to go multiply that. I want to go create more and more, find ways to accumulate it. I want to come up with more of what God has given to me. I want to be a mirror and reflect the goodness of God back towards others. I want to multiply what's been entrusted into my hands. I don't want to take it and bury it deep down inside so that I forget that I'm forgiven, so that I forget that I've been loved, so that I forget that I've received mercy because it happened so long ago. No, I want to keep it coming. I want to multiply it and multiply it and multiply it and be this mirror that reflects the goodness of God towards everybody in my life. Because as it relates to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was trying to tell us something here. He was saying, Paul's right. There is no goodness in you. So be prepared. I've done the work. Receive the finished work of salvation. Be prepared. And make sure that you take everything that's entrusted to you and you multiply it out and you serve those in need. You give, those in, give to those in need and you say, well, yeah, I would do that if Jesus was walking by. He is. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd be forgiving if Jesus did something to hurt my feet. Forgive your brother. Give to those. He's, he's telling this one story about the kingdom of heaven, that we multiply what's been given to us by God. We reflect the nature of God, the goodness of God toward us. But did you notice, if you've ever read Matthew 25, what he said to the man that was given five that made it ten and the man that was given two that made it four? He didn't kick them out of the house like he did the one who buried it. He said to them, well done, good, and faithful servant. 
well done, good and faithful servant. What was good about them? That they multiplied what God had given to them to be able to give it back. Give it away. Give it away. They multiply. Well done, good and faithful servant. There will come a day, according to how I interpret Scripture, where all of us will stand to give account before God. And my hope for everybody in this room, myself included, is that he can look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But in that moment, if he does say it to you, you know what he won't be talking about? How good you are on your own. How much goodness you created with your little flashlight. I think he's going to be talking about how much did you reflect his goodness to those in your life? How much did I reflect his love given to me towards those in my life that feel unloved? How much did I forgive because of how much I had been forgiven? How much did I show mercy because of how much mercy had been given to me? I want him to be able to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, Jesus said a lot of things in the Gospels. And we've really kind of lived in the things that he said in the book of Matthew. He talked about all that in Matthew 25, but I told you earlier that in Matthew chapter 6, he says, listen, if you're going to do good deeds, you don't do it so other people can see. Because if you do, you've already received your reward. But one chapter before that, in Matthew chapter 5, just within the first few verses of his very first sermon, he says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If your objective, if my objective is to be good so people brag on our goodness, we've already received our reward. I hope people affirm you to death. I hope they compliment you to death because that's what you're after, right? If you're just being good so that people talk about how good you are, you've missed the point. If that's your motivation, then hey, I hope you get it. I hope you get your reward. I hope they tell you how great you are. But he said, no, no. So that your good deeds towards others would glorify your Father in heaven tells me two things about goodness today. One, goodness is more than doing good. It's wanting good for others. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Goodness is more than just doing good. It's wanting good for others. Think about the last time that you did good, right? What was your motivation? Was it so that you felt better? Was it so that people would notice you? No, no, was it it because there was someone in need? Was your motivation for their good? Because here's the reality, and this is terrible English, and some of you are going to bristle at this as I say. You don't try to do good. You be good. I be good. That's what I want. I be good. Not of my own, but as a reflection of God's goodness towards me. I be good for others, for their good, for their sake. I be good. I reflect his goodness so that they see it. But if they see it, what does it do? Goodness should help others see God.
Goodness should help others see God more. When I am good, when I do good, do people glorify my Father in heaven because of it? Goodness is not just doing good. Goodness is wanting good for others. But goodness should help them see God more. If at the end of our interaction they go, man, you are so good, I may need to reevaluate how I interacted with them. But if at the end of it all, at the end of that interaction, in any way that I've been good, good deeds, good works towards them, if they go, man, I can see the work of God in you, then I think one day you'll get to stand before God as he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'd love for you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time to get today. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of personal reflection off all that we've experienced today, all that we've sung, all that we've done, all that we've heard. If you would say to me, Jeremy, you know what? For me, I know that I need God, a good God. You've been talking about it. I need a loving God to forgive me of my sins. Lead and guide my life from this moment forward. I need to receive the free gift of salvation that you've been talking about all day long. I've fallen short. I'm, I'm definitely not good. And I want him to forgive my sins and lead my life from this day forward. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Put it right back down. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, it's not a salvation issue for me, but I want to reflect the goodness of God to those in my life. I want to quit being a flashlight and try to be a mirror. And whatever God gives toward me, that I would reflect it towards others in my life so that they would see him. They would glorify him. And I want God to help me in that way. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you so much today, God, that we get to come into this place and sing about you and sing to you and experience communion as we've done to celebrate all that needs to be celebrated, but God, to hear your word and to be changed by it. So God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say that they want to enter into relationship with you, that you would forgive their sins and lead and guide their life from this moment forward. God, we celebrate with heaven now for the huge party that takes place because of one person coming to find life in Jesus Christ. So God, we thank you for that. Now we pray, God, for every person that lifted their hands to say, I wanna be a reflection of God's goodness towards me so that the others in my life would see my good works, see my good deeds, and recognize my Father in heaven because of it. God, let us be those kinds of people as we serve, we give a kid a chance, as we serve and bring children to sports camp, as we live our lives and serve people and do good works on our jobs and in our schools and in our homes. And God, we thank you that we can be a reflection of you to the people around us so that you would be lifted up that people would glorify our Father in heaven. And God, lastly, no call was given, no hands were raised, but God, I pray right now for every person that does not feel like they are God's masterpiece. They do not feel like God's handiwork. Maybe they think they're a mistake. Maybe they think they are the sum total of all their greatest failures and mistakes. God, would you set them free from that? Would you forgive them, but help them, God, to see themselves the way that you see them if possible? That God, maybe there would be affirming voices that would come along in their life and help them to recognize all that you say about them. God, how much you love them. Let them be lifted up today because of being called the sons and daughters of God. 
We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.